Yeah, yeah. I would say I'm definitely most interested in the worthless areas. Yeah. yeah. What's my thesis? I am your host, Javier Proenza. Every week, my guests and I share the answers we found to the questions we have. Join us as we explore and expand our worldview, and my worldview in particular, <laughs> through research and ask, what's my thesis? And today I have a guest. Thank you. My, I'm Josh Steichman. And, uh... <laughs> oh, thank you, Josh, because <laughs> I have a problem with reading. <laughs> and I've had two guests on, and they've both been women, and both times I'm like, Am I saying your name right? <laughs> yeah, yeah. I got used to that early on. At the, yeah. uh, I get, I got Steachman a lot. Steachman, uh, yeah. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So. And, and that kind of also, like, there. I like British names. <laughs> or I like to read British names because it's always like, you know. All right. Yeah, yeah, yeah super easy to pronounce. <laughs> well, then it gets into the weird Ashleys and things like that. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Oh no, we're gonna have a uh, uh, a laugh off. I can already tell. <laughs> I mean, the, the rule that I go with is uh, because I grew up in the Midwest, and we're known for that, uh, you know, Tom Brokaw upper Midwest accent. That mm-hmm. that's just that's the received style. How we say it is just the right way to say anything. Uh, oh, okay. Like, well, in in uh, Michigan, you know, you might have might have heard of Milan in Italy in Michigan. Yeah. We have Milan, <laughs> so that's just how you say it. It's Milan. <laughs> oh, Milan. Oh, my God. Yeah. I yeah. wonder if, it, like, if any Italians know about that. <laughs> I hope not. <laughs> They'll be like, I never go to Michigan. <laughs> no. But, you know, we follow through with the French, too. All of Detroit is full of, like, grass shit and things like that, where... Uh, Gratiot is G-R-A-T-I-O-T. So. Uh, uh, do you, do you don't even know how to pronounce it correctly. I have no idea. I have no idea. I know it's Detroit, is Detroit, but... Uh, you know. Oh, is that what Detroit is actually? Oh, oh yeah, see, yeah. Even I'm ignorant. <laughs> yeah, no, I, I took German in school, so I... I took it, too. I met a girl, and then I was like, oh, I'm going to learn German. And I was yep. like, the, the most romantic thing for the least romantic. Language. Well, I, I don't know if it was romantic. I never saw her again. <laughs> <laughs> but then you get to say Goethe and things like that. Yeah. Which just roll oh, off the well, the, the, my big takeaway was uh, the nominative, geni- genitive, and all oh. of those things. And I was like, hey. oh, I'm glad that English is just a <laughs> free for all. <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah. Uh, it's dative means a given. Yeah. Oh, oh. man. <laughs> you know more than I do. I, I, I have to remember them as like <laughs> the backward sense of everything, walk it back. Yeah, no. I, I, I once told a story to somebody about, I, okay, so I was mm-hmm. on a plane and the, the, there was a passenger next to me and he was huge and he was just, his knees were just like, he was decided <laughs> he was just going to invade my space. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and like, and so I was just like, well, I'm going to fight back. So my <laughs> knee was pushing back on his, so he couldn't encroach and gain any more ground. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and then eventually I saw that he was like trying to fix, um, 
like tr- trying to figure out the remote for the TV thing mm-hmm, on, mm-hmm. on on the uh, you know on the back of the uh, the chair. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And uh, and like I said something to him in German, and I told this story mm-hmm. as like, oh, this was the time that to somebody that was German, and they were yeah. like. You didn't say anything. <laughs> and I think he just understood that I was trying to be nice to him. And so from then on, he took his knee off. Oh, yeah. <laughs> then you're a human to him. Yeah. Yes, yes, yes. Now, now I'm a person. My, my wife just went to a, a conference uh, back in, I think she went to, it was in Toronto. And uh, somebody sneezed next to her, and she said, "Oh, Gesundheit!" And they, <laughs> "Oh, you speak German?" <laughs> She's like, "I have, I have no idea." <laughs> That's pretty amazing. <laughs> just like the, the desire to connect, like, <laughs> and, and no, it's just it's a reflex, man. You say Gesundheit. Yeah, yeah. So. <laughs> yeah, definitely. Nah, it's it's funny to me. Uh, just you know, so thinking about this, uh, doing the, the research on, on sort of national identity and identity politics and, and trying to trying to come up with a thesis that unites them. Uh, one of the things that, that stuck out that was weird to me was uh, you talked about it being the romantic language of German. In the 17 and 1800s, German was the international language of love. Like oh, that for was, real? yeah, as far as, uh, <laughs> if, if you were, if you were, uh, happen and fellow, that was like, uh, because of folks like Goethe and, you know, oh, okay. sorrows of young Werner be, you know, so over here it was popular, uh, all, all through Europe, all through Europe. Okay. Uh, United but like, States but like didn't people, matter with that. <laughs> no, I get it. I get it. Yeah. But I'm well, saying like, uh, like people were just like, that was their pickup line. Like, Oh, oh you know, yeah. <laughs> says <laughs> yeah it, uh, it was well so it, it's it's funny for me uh, because now people think of the the language of love is French uh, uh-huh. then French was the language of science and okay I can so, see that yeah yeah so it's, it's weird you know they were the folks doing metric and yeah, coming yeah, up yeah. with a way to measure the world as part of their like <laughs> they also had project. metric time which didn't go that go that no well. no and the, oh god the, the uh, metric calendar <laughs> the weird Jacobin yeah. like well yeah of course a year would have a uh, hundred months of ten days each and you're like that doesn't <laughs> Well, you know, in reference to what I was telling you about troubleshooting with all with this stuff and and how I went to um, like I had a class where I got a, I got a passing or I got an A because the uh, professor took pity on me that my compu- my station like it was always just troubleshooting on the computer. He's the one that taught me that the reason that we do things in tens. He was he he theorized the idea of. A alien race that had like four fingers, mm-hmm. right? To explain up to us what eight bit was, mm-hmm. and so and that's when I realized, oh, the reason we do things in tens, and the reason that our whole <laughs> counting system mm-hmm. goes into double digits once we get into ten, is because that's what we Take can count on our hands. Off. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> take your shoes off and reset it. Yeah, yeah exactly. So, uh, just as a as a weird connection to that, do you know why uh, all clocks and times are in that base twelve and sixties? Well, I think that. What made me think of it is just that we try to apply our ten fingers thing, but mm-hmm. I think that that probably has to do a little bit more with how the world rotates around <laughs> the sun, or no? It's also about fingers. Oh, uh, really? So it it comes from the Babylonians, and they count like one, two, three, four, five. Oh, they count six. their knuckles. Yeah, each oh. joint of the finger, and you have twelve of those wow. if you're counting with your thumb. 
Yeah. Well, have, not the knuckles, the inside. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. I the just segments. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. The segments. But yeah, so you you have uh, three on each finger, so you have twelve that you can count to right off the bat. Oh shit! I didn't even know that. And then a day is twenty-four. Oh it's both hands. And you, oh, do you you know the nine timetables trick? Oh no, I don't. I don't oh, remember okay. this. <laughs> so, so you hold out your your both hands, uh-huh. and then if you go like. Uh, nine times one, you mm-hmm. hold down your fir- the first finger and then you have nine fingers left. So that tells okay. you what it is. Then if you go, uh, nine times two, then you have, uh, what is that? 18? One and eight. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I had to count fingers cause I was approaching it from that standpoint. <laughs> and then like, so anything you do, you, the, the, the numbers, the fingers before, yeah, yeah. I'm trying to like visualize it for the listener, yeah, yeah, but yeah, yeah so. the the, vis- the the fingers before end up uh, being the first digit of a two digit, digit number, and then the yeah yeah, yeah 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 all the way all the way up to then well I well, guess I guess, I guess the, the one before a hundred yeah yeah well, <laughs> 92? Uh, no, 91? 90, well, 99 would be the last one before 11, uh, or before 100, but you don't have 11 fingers, so you're, you're fine. No, I'm saying in the nine times table. Yeah, So yeah, this yeah. only applies to to, so, to a number time. So, like, it would be the eight finger times nine, okay. that, and then, is and then that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 <laughs> or, no, eight times is 72, and then, yeah. I got it wrong. Yeah, yeah. Your I, fingers are right. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to listen back to this and be like, I don't know anything. <laughs> God damn, those guys don't know how to count their fingers. Jesus. They can't trust anything on this podcast Oh, anymore. no, you definitely cannot. <laughs> That's why I cite my sources. I'm like, just, just in case, you know, like, call me out on where I got this shit. <laughs> Readers. <laughs> I guess listeners, yeah. Call yeah. First time caller. Yeah. Uh, all right, so um, I guess I, I did want to. I'm gonna uh, use that artful segue to, to start talking about um, identity politics. And, okay. Uh, and so this is we're talking like, are we talking about like the? Have you seen the um, the greatest of enemies? I think it's called. It's uh, the um, Gore Vidal and whatever. Oh, Buckley, yeah. William F. Buckley. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. That, that, oh, God, I haven't seen that in years. Where they get into yeah, a, yeah, yeah. You know, basically a fist fight. <laughs> yeah, no, that movie's awesome. <laughs> yeah. Well, it, I, I, don't, uh, I don't know what it is uh, as a uh, movie. I know uh, it's just like the tel- there's a television interview where Oh, yeah, like, yeah, yeah, yeah. No, no, okay, yeah. So there's a documentary about that, and that's how I know about okay. it. I never saw. I never saw them, like... It, uh, the, 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 the whole things, but yeah, that shit is crazy. It's like, cause it's, it's such, um, insight into like what politics were like back then that you don't necessarily, you, that there's a continuation about that. Like one of the things that I'm always, and I know that we're two, uh, cisgendered males mm-hmm. talking about this. So like we, we have to be careful, but mm-hmm. one of the things that I always think of is like, you know, like in terms of identity, identity politics, mm-hmm. politics, we weren't given gay marriage intentionally, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. That's that's something that was like I think I feel like it was sort of a thing that like maybe, and I, I know this might be completely off mm-hmm. from what we're talking about. No, I, I can't. I, I, <laughs> but like, that was what's his face, Joe Biden, flip, <laughs> you know, sort of fucking up, and everybody mm-hmm. sort of being like, oh, okay, now we we can't be like, yeah, yeah. no, <laughs> the dam broke, the dam yeah. broke. Yeah, once he says that. They can't be like, oh, no, 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 that's not our policy anymore, because then it's like, fuck you. But to some degree, that is like, that is something that maybe feels like to me Mm -hmm. as a a non-political analyst, Mm -hmm. uh, 
as something that was like, oh, that was the thing that we were holding on to so we could negotiate. Kind of like a, an abortion thing, <laughs> you know? And so we are, I think that liberals tend to have a, a sense that like, oh, the other side... Or, you know, mm-hmm. the right gets gets uh, pandered to and mm-hmm. they, they vote against their interest for these mm-hmm. things. Mm-hmm. And I and, and I, I like the reason I point out definitely that is an important thing. And that's a human thing that like mm-hmm. gay people deserve the right to be married. And that was like just to remember that that is was maybe a negotiation chip makes me always skeptical, you know, <laughs> like of like of, of what people are selling me, mm-hmm. you know, mm-hmm. on either side. So um, I'm I'm really actually uh, I'm really curious about how that looked from the outside because while that was happening, uh, I was working for Equality California, a uh, big mm. statewide gay rights organization. So we were watching the gay marriage thing uh, like a hawk all oh, the wow. time. We were doing focus testing on it. We were doing message testing on it. Uh, at the time, God forbid you used the phrase gay marriage in any sort yeah. of, but it was, uh, it's marriage for same sex couples. It's uh-huh. not gay marriage because, uh, oh, when that's... people hear gay marriage, uh, there was such a stigma about gay people that they're like, well, pff, who would want that? That's terrible. And so by having that trigger word in there, uh, already folks opposed it. And the, the other thing that, that, uh, is really interesting is Biden's accident isn't, it wasn't really an accident. People kind of knew that was coming and that was planned out. So oh, okay. you're right to be skeptical on some level, but it was also about finding a way that a bunch of people that, that ran uh, Hillary Clinton and Obama both ran in 2008 opposing gay marriage. Okay, And it was a way to give them an out because honestly, that you know, you're right to talk about that as pandering. That was pandering to a vision of a uh, centrist middle America that had to be won over and that wasn't comfortable with this stuff. But that's... Uh, that doesn't make me feel better, though. No. <laughs> well, I yeah. mean, that's even more cynical. I guess... So the, 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 you know, like, the long but, form yeah. of what I was going to talk about <laughs> yeah. is that that gives us a way forward in a way that... Uh, like, it, it was cynically embraced, but I think that moving past that, I think that's actually a pathway to, uh, a lot of hope for this country and a way to get out of some of the crap that we're in Yeah, is part of the problem with that, uh, was that it was identity politics, but it was invisible. We mm-hmm. weren't talking about that as, uh, something that, that could be overt. And that's in part because people are always skeptical when they know you're selling them something. Yeah. But part of a democracy is that you're always going to have people that disagree and you're going to have to convince them. Mm-hmm. And so like the thought of I'm going to conceal my true positions in order to win, that ends up with really perverse incentives because then you end up acting on things that you weren't open about when you were elected. But the other side of that is that people have a lot of reflexive contradictory bad ideas and Mm. so uh finding a way to sort of get them to rethink things i mean yeah part of the problem is that that talking about a lot of this sounds like sinister thought manipulation and part of the problem Mm. that uh people on the left or or uh, people that are progressive have is talking about ways to persuade people without 
being cynical about it. Well, but then to that I would and mm-hmm. like not to be not to make not to be contentious. But no, to, to, to that to that I I sort of feel like that was something that was lacking mm-hmm. in this last run where it was like mm-hmm. a little bit of like, well, you know, the moral thing to do is to go this route, mm-hmm. you know, and like uh you, there's a really great thing that Harry Kondabolu says, and I wish I had it as a drop that I could talk about, but like, <laughs> but I, I think, think so. post. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I don't know. I can drop it in for sure. But, um, but it, he says something about how, you know, a lot of the attitude that, like that, you know, the good guys, quote mm-hmm, unquote, mm-hmm. or the people that, you know, <laughs> were, were, Closest to really making a case for um, a worldview that I'm more close to, but not necessarily Mm -hmm. comfortable with. Um, I feel like the attitude was definitely about sort of like, well, we've come a long way. We gave you the black president Mm -hmm. and and now it's our turn. And now now (laughs) and now do your duty, do your thing. We've given you everything you asked for. And I think, (laughs) you know, if we've learned a lot, if we've learned and and I think people miss. It's not fair for Hillary to get blamed about the things that Clinton did, mm-hmm. but they also hang out in the same circles, <laughs> and yeah. they're not going to be too different politically. <laughs> they go and, to the same parties. Yes, <laughs> <laughs> and 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 to some degree, it's it's um, there's a sense that like we are coming to terms with a lot of the shit. Like I just had a conversation mm-hmm. on the last episode with a friend of mine about all the things that Clinton did that really did damage to immigration policy Mm -hmm. and set us up for now. And we don't see the end results. And so I think that to some degree, Mm -hmm. we've seen, and not to get back to the whole thing of like, we are being pandered and we're necessarily, you know, like that's Mm -hmm. not my thesis for this show. But like, (laughs) I think, I think in, in that sense, like, I do feel like there's a sentiment of like, um, we, you know, we don't necessarily owe you anything, guys. <laughs> and mm-hmm. and that notion that, like, you don't have to come and get my vote mm-hmm. is unsettling to me and makes me feel, um, you know, uh, like, like it like is... Like you're not respected. Well, and like it is more sinister. And like, mm-hmm. and you know, and I, I, this is from somebody that lived in Florida for a long time. Like, mm-hmm. right now I can vote for whoever the fuck I want and it's still going <laughs> to go to Hillary. Right. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And so like, it's, it's a privileged situation. When I was in Florida, I had that burden <laughs> mm-hmm. on every fucking election. We still lost, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> you yeah, know? Yeah. Uh, and so, so, so for me, that whole political, and I really don't talk about politics too much on the show, but I, I changed do, that today. I'm sorry. Okay. No, I figured <laughs> we're talking about identity politics. Yeah, so yeah, like, yeah. Uh, like I'm just letting you know, I'm game, <laughs> I'm game. But, um, but I do think that like the notion that like, you know, that aside that a group of people that say that, oh, that's a purity test <laughs> mm-hmm. are not, are, are on the same page as me. Like that's some dismissive mm-hmm. conversation about like how things could be done. Right. They just did the thing where they passed the, um, 
the no like that the Democrats weren't going to take money and then they flipped it over. <laughs> oh, oh yeah, yeah, the, the, the no the, pack the, money. They, yeah, yeah the, the the they're not going to take pack money that it comes from fossil fuels or something like that, right? Mm-hmm. And again, the, I'm out of my depths. I really don't keep track of this shit very yeah, regularly. Yeah. Uh, I like, I, I do read some stuff like, and I have people that I rely on. Like I like mm-hmm. uh, certain authors that I don't always agree with, but yeah, you know. yeah, yeah. It, or, well, not authors, journalists, but it's it, good and, to and give a, a broader perspective. I, yeah, I appreciate the intercept for that. The intercept often, uh, makes me both rethink things that I support and things that I disagree with. And, yeah. uh, that is independent about uh, of of what the uh, the intercepts position is on any of yeah. those given things. But no one's hands are clean too, you know. Right. Like it's it's always like I I I've I, for a long time I've been a fan of the Garden and I still like it, but they sometimes they come up in in oh, weird yeah. lists of things that like oh maybe they shouldn't be doing that. Yeah. Oh yeah. Yeah. <laughs> you know, yeah. and like and so it's always like it's everything's with uh, everything is like that's the point. Everything is varying degrees. Well, everything is varying degrees of fake news. <laughs> everything is self-serving and, on some level, but yeah. uh, I guess that's that's one of the things that I keep coming back to with critiques of postmodernism. They're like, oh, well, everything's relative. Uh, Alex Jones talking about, well, you can't trust the New York Times because of uh, Barbara Miller. Was that her name? The, the one that basically backed up... Um, the George W. Bush assertions of weapons of mass destruction. They, they yeah. uh, wrote a whole bunch of stories about how Saddam Hussein totally has these weapons. And then, oops, they were based on anonymous sources and it wasn't true. Yeah. Uh, and it's something that, that they get critiqued rightly about uh, from the left. But it, instead of the answer being that, oh, you just can't trust the New York Times, it's no, it, you can trust them to a certain extent, but you have to verify their claims. You have to be able to to see that transparency. Yeah. They have to be open about how they've come to these conclusions and what's been admitted. And even then, uh, I don't know, I, I, my, my degree is in journalism. And so... Oh, cool. Uh, yeah. They, uh, uh, I, is- love the, <laughs> I love the setup of this because... I really don't know anything about you. And as we're talking, I'm like, oh, shit, you know what you're talking about. <laughs> I'm, I, I, I'm a nerd with a lot of interests. I, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. That's, this, that's, that's fine. That's fine. Uh, yeah. No, this is this is like sort of becoming a thing on the show where I'm like, like uh, uh, Zoya mm-hmm. was uh, the, my, uh, one of my guests that's coming up is or that already mm-hmm. passed it, uh, was like I was like. She was like, and that's why I'm an ardent feminist. And I was like, oh, shit, I'm getting comfortable. <laughs> I like this. I didn't know. Let me hear more. Yeah, there's, uh, I have a, a friend, RJ, who talks about the, their uh, uncle. And uh, their uncle's kind of an alcoholic fuck-up. But the, the, the salient point uh, is the biggest problem is that their uncle uh, doesn't recognize that everyone is an expert in something. Yeah. And so you tend to dismiss people's expertise and not listen to them and sort of railroad over them. So that's, that's what keeps getting his uncle in the, you know, had to be bailed out situations is yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> not recognizing that other people could actually maybe teach you something. Well, and that's <laughs> a, 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 often a, a family. Like I think that happens oh, in families. Every, like where it's just like, no matter what you do, they'll never <laughs> see you any different. They're oh, just yeah. like, you're this guy. Yep. <laughs> oh, you're so this guy. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. 
yeah, yeah. I've been uh, I've been lucky that overall in my family, the people that have really fallen into that, they've died, and so well, that's fortunate. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, not for them, but for me, it's been convenient. Okay, that, uh, <laughs> it's a little bit grim, but yeah. Uh, so you came to talk politics? Yeah, <laughs> it's all connected, man. That's that's the real thesis that I have is that everything is multidisciplinary. It's all connected. Uh, so, uh, oh, I think the, the journalism was talking about, about how the biases of the journalism have uh, are really apparent in some ways, and people usually get them wrong. Uh, the biases that they have, like you want to have horse race bias uh, because you want to always talk about how this, to- this race is totally close. It's going to go, could go either way. This is the most important race of your life. You know, you've heard that over and over and over again. And part of that is because that's the bias of newspapers. Yeah, They've yeah. always got to have something new. Otherwise, it's a, it's a book, you know. <laughs> so actually, that's this is the, the second time that someone mm-hmm. talks about the bias on the show. Mm-hmm. On, on, like someone was saying that a camera has a bias towards taking pictures mm-hmm. and that guns have a bias towards shooting and, and mm-hmm. killing and maiming people. But it's, 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 I, I, I heard that. I remember. <laughs> oh, you heard that episode. Yeah. Oh, okay. Cool. Cool. Okay. <laughs> no, no. All right. So I was just like, kismet. <laughs> I wasn't, I wasn't meaning to, to no, 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 circle but yeah, back, yeah. but yeah, yeah, yeah. No, I know, I know exactly what you're talking yeah, about. Yeah. yeah. Um, and it's, it's something where, so complaints about, about truth telling in the news, you see a lot with, with, uh, like the objective bias is a huge thing. That connects back to identity politics, so we'll circle back. We'll yeah, circle yeah, yeah, back. yeah. There's no worries. Um, the objective bias was something that came from uh, Albert Ox, the uh, the first publisher of the New York Times back in like 1890s, early 1900s. Uh, maybe a little bit after that, maybe maybe into the 20s. But it it was based on the explosion of the daily newspaper, which comes from people riding streetcars to work. Cause if uh-huh. you're not driving yeah, yeah, or riding yeah. a car or walking, you can read a newspaper right then. <laughs> the uh, most convenient. <laughs> exactly. It's, it's, it's the iPhone of the, yeah, yeah, uh, yeah. you know, 1890s. Yeah. That's when we knew about <laughs> folding papers. <laughs> <laughs> Somebody was like, this is a genius idea. Yeah. Uh, and so what distinguished it from the, the yellow journalism of the era, which is all about what's yellow journalism referred to specifically. Uh, that, uh, <laughs> specifically is, is it cowardly no no it's okay. a it's a mix of uh cheap paper so it yellows very quickly okay. and uh the yellow kid who was uh in randolph hersey's a uh, cartoon where it's a uh, like a big weird baby-headed kid with a uh slogan written on his t-shirt every time okay uh so uh like like a, a pre newsy Oh yeah, yeah. Because okay. uh, then that those guys were like beating each other up for like spots and stuff. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> like, but, but, those were adult children. Like they were, they were like forty year old, eight year olds. No, yeah, yeah. Uh, look, look at the yellow kids. Sometimes yeah, He's a, hardened. It, it's it's a. But so are, were the papers less? So they're they're sensationalists. Okay, they're so meant to sell as many papers as quickly as possible. They were often full of just crazy lurid bullshit. Okay. Uh, they're a really good model for like what Alex Jones does is yellow journalism. That's well, was it that sensational back then? Did oh, they yeah. Have, were they just as creative? Oh yeah, yeah. They, no, like, it inquired it, bat boys and shit. It was totally no. It was it was Irish Keyboards. immigrant splits man's head with axe. Here's where all the brains oh, okay. were. That's what, it, yeah. It, yeah. Like it's it's totally gory <laughs> and. 
weird and offensive on every basic level. It's, it's uh, <laughs> you know, it's like the, the Rotten.com or Style Project, if you remember the, those sort of early internet gore sites. Yeah, yeah, uh, yeah. Or 4chan, uh, you oh, know, Jesus. it's it's okay. like letting 4chan have a, a daily newspaper where they report the goings on <laughs> of the world. So that's that's the the normal penny press that everybody is buying because it's cheap and it it's hilarious and you find out about you know the affairs that governors are having along with you know why whatever recent immigrant group is destroying America yeah, again. Yeah. Um, and so from there, uh, Ox says, "Well, let's." Uh, Let's actually pitch this at people that are middle managers and want to move up. And so what we're going to do is we're going to have an objective model that's just the facts. We're going to be very scrupulous about what we report. But the goal is to give middle managers who read this on the train in something to talk about with their bosses. So you're going to be inculcated with the attitudes of the striving upper upper middle class in order to be able to have a conversation when your boss, you know, takes you out for golf or whatever. So you can and see culture. Exactly, exactly. Yeah, yeah. So that you would be up on the news of the day. You would be able to talk about the stock market. You would yeah, be yeah. able to talk about, you know, the sinking of the Lusitania or whatever the, the <laughs> current event of the day was. Uh, but you're doing it in a very detached, neutral, rational tone that marks you as someone who accepts the values of the upper class and is ready for that promotion, man. Yeah, yeah. You can go from middle to upper management and wear your arm garters. And so that's, that's the objective model. And that took off throughout America. It got uh, replicated again and again and again because it became very effective. You could charge more for this newspaper than you could for the, the crazy lurid stuff. But that's because people with more money were buying it as a tool to increase their social social economic status. My my analogies in my head as you're talking are so ridiculous. <laughs> well, go for it, go for it. <laughs> oh, so it's like the iPhone. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, yeah. As as far as a signal, like you know, if you if you're going in. I remember this from from weird meetings with like donors when I was working at Equality California. It's definitely like. Yes, I have an iPhone. I'm not somebody with one of those, yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. you know, Samsungs or something <laughs> like that. I have Apple is a progressive company, and I have progressive ideals that I'm showing through my consumership. Yeah, that's yeah. part of my identity as a as a consumer is my ethical consumption, and you know, <laughs> <laughs> relative <laughs> exactly, Fox exactly. Con and whatnot. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Suicide nets, <laughs> yeah, but yeah. you know, they put the nets up that shows that they care. Yeah. <laughs> What are you arguing for? You want people to just plunge to their deaths instead of keeping working in sweatshops? What about the companies that don't put up nets? Exactly. <laughs> Those are the savages. Right. And so you can also, if you've uh, been on several interviews in, in L.A. with uh, you know tech companies or anything like that, you can recognize that attitude as like, that's how you get hired. Repeating yeah. those ideas, that's the New York Times. That's the objective model of, of journalism. And... There were some reasonable critiques of that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and uh, so that that's one big way that... that uh, I can't wait for you to get to talk about MSNBC <laughs> and CNN. <laughs> oh, no, no, don't, don't even, don't even. And if you're not going to talk about it, we'll talk oh. about it off air. But Jesus Christ. Yeah. <laughs>
Yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm trying to think of this as this is the rough draft for my TED talk. That'll totally. That'll oh yeah, happen. that's that's totally. <laughs> <laughs> that's going to be my tagline. <laughs> What's my thesis? The rough draft for your TED talk. I just need to you know put in some nice uh, electronic beds of a mm. repeated ringing tone. Nice uh, you know ring modulator on. These are serious thoughts for serious people. Yeah. Um, so basically. Uh, Objective model has failed us. Uh, it's failed us in the news. It's failed us Wait, in politics. So do you th- do you think it's failed us, or do you think that we're we're not following it? Because is it really objective anymore when you're talking about like, especially? So we're we're getting into the fun of postmodernism. Okay. Uh, why postmodernism is is uh, actually great, just like identity politics. Mm-hmm. So postmodernism is one of the uh, especially. It's something that, that lumps together a lot of different currents. It's a catch-all. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. I, My favorite, our history prof, used to talk about uh, postmodernism is a time. It's not a thing. It's not a movement. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and so, like, everybody's postmodern. We've all been postmodern our whole lives. Yeah. Uh, it's and beautiful. there's so much modernism within postmodernism, too. Oh, yeah, yeah. It's, just, it's <laughs> just a new name for something for, like, well, we're revisiting the stuff that the modernists did but now, <laughs> but we're self-aware. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The, the yeah, yeah. modernists really believed this. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> we know it's bullshit. <laughs> exactly, exactly. But you know, it's it's something where where modernism made a lot of universal truth claims that made a lot of uh, yeah. you know. Like, hell yeah, we're going to have these sweeping concrete edifices. Fuck yeah, that's what we do. We're going to put a highway through here. It's the best we know. Universally, everybody's going to love this. Yeah. And they didn't. (laughs) And so you can go two ways with that. The the general critique of of postmodernism, especially stuff like uh, uh, post-structuralism, Foucault, and and, uh, the deconstructionism of, of Derrida is saying, well, all they don't believe in truth at all. What they've done is they've destroyed our foundations for truth, and it just turns into a free-for-all. Anybody can say anything. And uh, that's, you know, the way that, that Donald Trump talks about fake news. Fake news doesn't have any definition for yeah, it. Yeah, yeah. It was originally something that people were talking about about him, that he was spreading fake news, and that's, you know, the, the Russian interference, that's how he won, was all fake news. Uh, mm-hmm. And he's taken it and just run with it, because what the fuck? Nobody's gonna stop him. Um, well, and then they're just give, they, like, <laughs> it's almost like the, the, you know, all these networks were like, Oh man, isn't it? Wouldn't it be funny mm-hmm. <laughs> if he got no, elected? Yeah, yeah. And then and then he got elected, and now it's like, yeah, it's all, it's even better than a war for them. <laughs> yeah, like wars well, are boring. Yeah. We're in seven right now, and they don't cover them, right? So. Yeah, yeah. Uh, Les, Les, what Les Moonves of uh, uh, CBS talking about how good the Trump candidacy mm. was for their their. Yeah, yeah, uh, yeah. I've heard, I've heard that. It's it's something where where. So that's one response is to, is to say, well, with postmodernism, and this is the common critique from the right, with postmodernism, truth doesn't matter. Everybody has competing truths. There's no such thing as a, any sort of rational, universal ideals. That means I can say anything. That yeah. means that, you know, there, there's no consequences to bullshit. The other way of approaching it is to then treat it as a second order question where you're not saying, 
okay, you know, you're willing to grant that everybody has their own perspectives. Everybody has uh, their own backgrounds or experiences that uh, both constrain and inform who they are, what their identity is, and also what they take as evidence and what they believe the truth of a situation is. But you can take those and you can look at them and compare them. If you take it as a, as a first order question, you're like, yeah, well, we can't resolve anything because everybody disagrees. The second order is to look at it and say, well, okay, then what claims do we accept as truth? What no. does actually work here to resolve these issues? Can we say that, you know, uh, Trump's inauguration didn't have the most viewers ever. Yeah, actually we can. That, that, that's a fact. We can be pretty open about it. And the claim that he has his own personal subjective truth where that is consistent just doesn't hold up. So. But see, that, the, okay, so maybe you phrase things in a way that I didn't understand. Okay. But, uh, so, how is, is, so, are you saying that that, is objective journalism? No. No, 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 I'm saying okay. that objective journalism was... So, objective... Uh, so, did, as a, as a practice... Because here's was, where I'm confused. Because mm-hmm. you said it's it, it it's dead. It, did it die because people aren't practicing it anymore? Or did it die because it was no longer... Because it was not useful? It's, I'm, I'm it's not sufficient. It's uh, not sufficient. It's, okay. Uh, All right. Okay. Now I get what you're saying. Yeah. Right. yeah. It's, it's modernism. It's a very modernist project. Because it's like absolutist. This. Yeah. Uh, well, it's universalist. It's uh, liberal on the idea that, you know, everything in society is based on individual freedoms. That's something that it, that it uh, really supports. Uh, it's very in favor of the freedom of the press, things like that. Um, it's something that believes that more speech is a net good, more newspapers are a net good, mm-hmm. even beyond commercial interests that, that are involved with it. So oh, it's, yeah. it's something that, that it has a lot of um, ideals that I think overall are, are decent ideals. It's just that the constraints it has on it mean that it, it is never going to live up to those ideals. And uh, there's somebody that, that I was uh, reading while I was, I was getting ready for this talk. Uh, I believe it was a, a woman named uh, Jean Cohen. I think that's the, the name. Uh, yeah, Jean Cohen uh, talking about, you know, part of the, the problem of uh, thinking about rational liberal politics is the idea that uh, we will get to a future point. Oh, no, sorry. This is, this is uh, Chantelle Mouffe is the, okay. the woman who uh, was talking about this. Um, in working toward a horizon point where we've dealt with all of these differences, we've dealt with all of these truth claims, and everybody is just on board because of a sort of universalist project of rationality. You know, we can all explain these things in rational argument, that will bring everybody on board, we'll be totally set, we won't have these problems anymore, mm-hmm. we'll all be able to agree on an objective truth. That makes us less able to deal with threats to the rational projects, threats to liberal human rights, threats to uh, marginalized people, threats to the function of our basic democracy. How so? So... By thinking of it uh, as always 
a position off in the in the horizon. You're doing two things. One, uh, you are accepting current challenges as just part of that that ongoing project. So okay. you know you're always going to be able to deal with these things. It's a uh, an idea that infuses progressivism. Is you know we've got these challenges, but we're always going to be able to to meet them and move forward. We're always going to be pr- progressing. So that's that's one uh, problem with it, and then the other is that it assumes that the way that we get there is through uh, these rational discussions where people weigh positions, think about the facts, and react to them, and always choose what's in their best interest or what's in the group's best interest. And that's just not true in terms of how people behave. Mm-hmm. Um, so one, one of the things that... Uh, so I, I, I used to think about this a lot when I worked at EQCA. Uh, the, how do you get voter behavior to change? And mm-hmm. how do you actually enact some of the, the changes that we need to get to a more just society? And people don't vote as rational actors, they just don't. Uh, same way that they don't act as rational economic actors. Yeah. Uh, for people that that are voting, uh, let me see if I can if I can pull up my paper because we're talking about uh, citing sources. Uh, we have uh, one is a is a paper by uh, David C. King uh, mm-hmm. about uh, called Congress Polarization and Fidelity to the Median Voter. And when we're talking about uh, two-party districts and how people end up selecting their their uh, representatives. He's doing a survey based on the DW nominate scores. Do you know what those? No. Okay. Um, I forget the name of the the uh, pair of scholars that do this, but basically, uh, denominate scores are. Uh, an account of where every member of Congress votes uh, in comparison to their peers on every single vote. So uh, how much they vote together, basically. And by doing that, you can come up with an idea of how liberal or conservative somebody is relative to their peers. And because uh, Congress turns over uh, not all at once, you Mm -hmm. can use the continuity. People change very little in their overall political uh, perspectives or or, uh, preferences over their course of of time in Congress. So Mm -hmm. uh, somebody that, that is elected in 92 is probably going to still vote the same way in 2002 or 2012. And which is why it's so nice, (laughs) (laughs) which is why, yeah, uh, I, so much gets done. (laughs) I like Diane Feinstein, but I also, you know, no, I don't, (laughs) I I could see somebody else coming. I I, I like some things about her, but yeah. yeah, And there becomes a weird trade off between institutional power and uh, Mm. new blood and new ideas. So it's like, well, she has more than ever the power to achieve objectives she was elected to achieve in the 90s. Yeah. And so some of those are th- still things that we're working on that were a good idea then and we haven't gotten there. Yeah. Others are uh, pretty regressive and we've moved beyond that and we've figured out that wasn't a great idea. But yeah. um, 
So denominate scores are just the raw scores. DW nominate are weighted, basically. Uh, so some votes are more important than others, like uh, procedural votes or uh, like when you're, you're voting on, uh, you know, we're going to make this International Cherry Pie Day or National Cherry Pie Day. Those votes... God damn it, dude. <laughs> if it wasn't for Instagram, I wouldn't know how often they fucking vote on these things. Jesus yeah. Christ! <laughs> <laughs> but so you, you weight those very low because everybody votes for them. They're, they're like 99 to 1. Every- That's why these motherfuckers don't show up to work. It's like, yeah. I'm not voting on whether it's National Dog Day. Yep. Fuck you. <laughs> well, but then you get the attack ads where it's like, you know, Representative Karen Smith is against puppies. Why did she vote against <laughs> International Dog Day? What's wrong with her? And, you know, the, then the, the... He's uh, a monster! <laughs> exactly. <laughs> like, yeah, a couple at the kitchen table talk. I just don't know if we what, can trust yeah. him with our dog. He's a puppy killer. <laughs> exactly, exactly. So, uh, taking the, the uh, DW nominate scores, mm-hmm. you uh, look at uh, the... So, the main theory of the 20th century for how voters behave is the median voter theory. Uh, it's what every centrist pop, uh, politician believes in their heart. Let me ask you something. Yeah? Does this, th- believes in their heart. Okay, you answer my question. <laughs> <laughs> it, it's the idea that if you take all of your preferences, all of your, your different condic- uh, contradictory uh, list of, of things that you think about how the world should work, which, you know, any sort of ideas about political process contradict with each other because they're, they're always like, well, I think this should happen, but also that. And yeah, you yeah. can't make both of them happen. So how do you how do you think about what's more important? So the idea forever has been the idea that that uh, what wins is the, the rational voter looks at all of their preferences decides what politician is closest to the median of those preferences and then <laughs> and then goes Trump. <laughs> yeah, and then, and then vote. Right. And yeah, anybody that thinks that, that the median voter still exists should be stuck in 2016 forever and just yeah. a personal hell. Just live that fucking thing over and over again. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, oh, until you reckon it's like a horrible groundhog day for the political science professors. <laughs> Can you imagine how much better of a person you'd become from background like that. <laughs> I would hope. Yeah, that, that's it. No, you, you would just be fucking... It would be terrible. Trauma. Forever. You'd just PTSD. Be, yeah. <laughs> you'd be blown out. You wouldn't be able to form words anymore. Mm. So uh, the idea is that then when you sort all of the people, you know, no matter what party they're voting for, whatever... Uh, you'll come up with this median political position that represents the will of the people. This is what people want based on just sorting their preferences and how many people have voted for who and who gets elected. But, so that's that's the, the main idea of basically all papers written about voter behavior in the 20th century. Yeah. That, they, that everybody ends up kind of meeting in the middle a little bit. Well, the, that everybody acts like a rational agent. Everybody says, mm-hmm. these are my preferences. I know what my preferences are. Uh, to the extent that they conflict, I can order them in a rank list where I could say, well, yeah, abortion's really my top priority. After that, it's going to be greenhouse effect. After that, I, I guess it's manufacturing in the economy and be able to pick candidates that most closely represent that. Um, so the, basically the scholarship started to change on this in the 
late 90s when we were finally able to get big enough computers to look at all of the data. Uh, This, like a lot of other things, like a lot of modernism, is based on, well, there's this theory. We're going to make this theory internally consistent so you can ride right through it and not have any hiccups, but we're not going to concern ourselves with what the real world looks like because that's inconvenient uh, or impossible honestly for for a lot of it 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 would it would have required gathering a lot more data than they had the ability to process when you're looking at a bunch of interns hand coding everything on on sheets of paper and punch cards so um, just but you saying that just makes me realize how much more complicated (laughs) (laughs) our politics are going to get as technology (laughs) (laughs) we're going to be like watching ai's debate each other (laughs) i i i'm i'm curious i haven't heard the the one that you were doing about the, the <laughs> AIs and, yeah, and yeah, humanity. Yeah. I know that you recorded that and I'm really curious about it because that, that ties in too. How do you, how do you come up uh, with that? No, well, that's for- all I can see now. Right? <laughs> <laughs> like, like, uh, you know, so I have a massive TV, mm-hmm. which we haven't addressed, but, but like it's almost too big for the space, but it cost me the same as the TV that I had last, like four years ago. Mm-hmm. And so I was like, well, fuck it. That's yeah. my TV budget. But the size increase, it was like, it's just insane. And how much cheaper, like it's little. So mm-hmm. I, after doing that episode, I, I was like, oh yeah, I might as well bank on this motherfucking <laughs> <laughs> demonetization of technology. Oh yeah. Yeah. You know? The, oh God, wh- whose law is it? I forget the, mm. the Moore's law. Moore's we law. Reached, yeah. We reached the peak of that. They have a transistor. Like when I saw it, I blew my fucking mind. We have a transistor switch with a one at, or we have a transistor with a one atom switch on it, which means that they've reached the end of that law. But then there's the law of accelerating returns, mm-hmm. which is the idea that paradigm shifts happen more often. So mm-hmm. like that doesn't matter. Like the next shit is already working. <laughs> I thought that the the, uh, the boundary on it was always gonna. Uh, come down to basically the speed of light, how fast you can you can actually process things and well, Moore's law specific to transistors. Okay, but so the but I th- the there may be another one. Yeah, yeah, yeah there yeah. may be another one. Uh, there's like so many laws. There, yeah, yeah. Uh, a bunch of white guys going like that. I made a law and it's called me. <laughs> <laughs> it's the me law. <laughs> That's modernism, man. You come up with a law. Yeah. It's named for you, goddamn. Yeah. <laughs> uh, but so ba- basically, what what they find with. Uh, how voters actually behave is that instead of having a ranked list of preferences, you have preferences that you kind of order through salience, how important this to you. And even though they are contradictory, you will vote for the politician who is closest to your most extreme politician, uh, your most extre- extreme positions. rather than the person that best matches your overall beliefs. So So there's a lot of people whose extreme position was fuck you. Yeah, (laughs) exactly, exactly, exactly. And so uh, they found a politician that very well matches their most extreme position. Yes. But even, you know, uh, things like the the, uh, ones they usually use are immigration, abortion, uh, taxation, uh, environmentalism and then, uh, militarization. So, you know, uh, you can be somebody who, uh, thinks that you should totally preserve the earth in every way. Uh, but also that, 
women shouldn't be allowed to get abortions. And instead of vote, <laughs> instead of voting, I want to meet that person. <laughs> they're more common than you think. Yeah. Instead of then voting for, uh, or really with abortion, it tends to be uh, people that that are really stringent on abortion restrictions. Their inconsistency tends to be in uh, economic and social justice. So uh, this is especially apparent with uh, Catholics where you see an extreme anti-abortion position and then a large social justice position. Mm -hmm. You you should be doing uh, good works to feed the poor, things like that. But also, you know, uh, women shouldn't be able to to decide whether or not to have an abortion. And depending on how extreme they feel about the abortion, they will vote for Republicans who are closer on that one issue than they, uh, and they'll vote for them instead of Democrats that are closer to them on every single other issue. Yeah, yeah. And from my perspective, the reason why they do that is because their identity as a person, as a, a Catholic voter or as a uh, anti-abortion voter, uh, that trumps their other values. They're not making a, a rational decision. They're engaging in identity politics. Mm-hmm. They're they're saying that this is more important to me than a uh, material gain. Um, one of the earlier ways that that identity politics used to be referred to was post material politics. Okay, it's about all of your values that you have once your material needs are met. But as you can see. Uh, it still uh, it still applies when you when you're talking about say people in the well no one's material needs are getting met <laughs> right 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 well people in the med- so it's been it's been uh, something that that comes up again and again when we talk about well Democrats are losing the white working class voters and it's why do they keep voting against their interests yeah. well their interests aren't material their interests are identitarian they yeah. want to have an identity where they're not dependent on handouts from the government, that they're totally independent, that they stand on their own, that they represent the, you know, white man with a flag on top of a mountain, that their identity is heroic Mm -hmm. and they're willing to vote for that over someone that would actually help them, you know, make a couple thousand more a year or make sure that they're, they're, uh, when they break their leg or get cancer, that it doesn't ruin their entire life. You know, thing, things that are immediate economic interests. Well, what about, so, but I kind of feel like, or and, and it, I framed that like I was argumentative. I'm trying to get your help to help me oh, figure no, no, out. Yeah. Um, taxation. Because mm-hmm. I think that that is, a, it is something that is economic, but also kind of falls under that belief <laughs> oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, don't take my fucking money. Yeah, you know, and so, 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 would that that would be one of the that would be more in the belief? Uh, yeah, but, in the identity thing, yeah. I identify as someone that doesn't believe that you should take my money. Yeah, yeah. The that believes strongly in personal property. That okay. believes strongly that the government shouldn't be interfering in that. That they should. And I guess that's interesting. That goes to the. That's like a moral code. That's like a moral definition of freedom. Yeah. That uh, that yeah. That is kind of inconsistent if you actually look at it and play it out. But it's also pretty new in terms of like the, the span of history. Like, uh, it, it, <laughs> cause Isaiah Berlin calls it like, it calls it uh, negative freedom as opposed to oh, yeah, positive yeah. freedom, which is, which would be more like 
The freedom not to die from starvation. Yeah, yeah. Well, a positive freedom is having the freedom to live your life as you want, be able to achieve the goals that you want, Yes. versus a negative freedom, which is the government isn't going to interfere in you achieving the goals that you want. Um, Yeah, and, and it very much is... The liberal conception of uh, government and state power is a is a negative conception. It's it doesn't really have a positive conception. Like you yeah. look at the the uh, U.S. Constitution, it's all about restraining the power of government yes. and assuming that everything else is going to work out. Um, it's the same idea that that you know Rand Paul or Ron Paul has about how you should be able to do whatever the fuck you want, but it ends up then as a consequence impacting other people's ability to also do what they want yes. and it takes it takes a shared conception it takes a shared <laughs> yeah, nation yeah, yeah. to decide what ends up being the just outcome of that yeah. and that's that's where identity politics and nationalism overlap mm-hmm. is uh, so there, there's this idea that that uh you can take, uh, well, I guess, a, a sort of back up and, and a better phrasing is to uh, think about you have democratic politics, you have republican politics, and mm-hmm. you have procedural politics. And these are uh, descriptive. So small d democratic, small r republican, mm-hmm. and uh, small p procedural, but there's no, there's no procedural party. So... Um, but your democratic politics are all about, um, we assume that everybody has their own selfish individual interests and that by voting, we can work out the conflicts between them in a way that everybody will accept. Okay. So then Republican is an assumption of a shared value or vision for the country, a shared idea of what is good, what unites us. Uh, e pluribus unum. So, so you're you're defining the parties, or you're defining mm. the terms. No, specifically? yeah, yeah, okay. yeah, yeah. Right. These are these are terms separate of parties. Right. Uh, which, yeah, yeah, no, no, I got yeah, you. Yeah, I got yeah, you. yeah, I'm following you. I, I <laughs> just I, that's what I thought you were saying, but I wanted to confirm. Go ahead. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, no, it's uh, especially. Where people can't see the capitalization through through audio, that's <laughs> no. And you, yeah. you said no. That's yeah. what I gathered from when you said lowercase, but I just wanted to make sure. Yeah, yeah um, and so. What you see in identity politics and nationalism and republicanism is all ideas about what a shared unifying concept of a group is. And when you have democratic politics, that's the negative liberties. It's all about negative liberties. It's all about finding ways for the government to constrain other people from acting in ways that impinge Mm -hmm. your ability to do whatever you want. Mm -hmm. Republican means we're all working together for this shared ideal and the government's power is then to constrain people from harming that project. And procedural is, is based then on, you know, we can all come together and uh, talk through these issues in a way that, that ends up with the best possible outcome, but it's, it's sort of in between the two. Uh, yeah. And Method Man's uh, we can all get by if we want now with a fat piece of the pie if we want. Yeah, 
<laughs> I'm, I'm trying to think of other other Wu Tang uh, political <laughs> philosophy that's not just anarchist capitalist stuff. <laughs> Wants to be an MC if you don't get paid. Yeah. <laughs> so, identity politics then has to fall in the in the sort of Republican realm where you're looking at ways that we can all come together and we can work on a shared identity. Because oh, yeah. one, one of the things about identities uh, that I, I find really uh, interesting and complicating, they usually get reduced from the outside, especially from the right to just one thing. Um, the classic example is a black woman where... Uh, is her identity as uh, a black person more important or is her identity as a woman more important? She's reduced and has to choose between different identities. But that, that mm-hmm. happens for everybody. Everybody, you know, uh, you have to think about whether you feel like you're a Floridian still, you know? Yeah. Uh, that sort of weird background based on... <laughs> or if I ever thought of myself. <laughs> <laughs> or if you want to pretend that you never thought... <laughs> <laughs> You're like fuck this place the entire time. <laughs> uh, yeah, no, no, Florida's great. Uh, yeah, yeah, but but I just because I didn't, I lived there like from when I was twelve, so I was angsty. I can always be. Uh, it, so there was definitely a little bit of like it's hot. Fuck this place. <laughs> uh, my my uh, grandma uh, moved from from Indiana down. Uh, grandma and grandpa moved there uh, from Indiana. Uh, and moved to like the Tampa area. And I remember uh, when my grandfather died, we were moving my grandma back up to, to Michigan. And I uh, went to a Coconuts used record store there. Oh, I used to go to those. Yeah, yeah. And I was like uh, 17 or something and went in and asked the clerk, okay, so, you know, I bought, bought a bunch of, you know, like less than Jake albums or whatever the fuck was around at the time <laughs> uh, in Florida. Uh, so what is there to do around here uh, now that I'm done at the, the record store? And he looked at me and said, get a job and then die. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's a very fucking Florida thing. They're, like, I mean, come on, dude. Florida's a very specific. Oh, uh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Carl Hyacin is not wrong about Florida. I don't know. Have you ever read any of his his stuff? Uh, I have novels? read a couple of his books, yeah, but they're they are on point uh, in terms of like describing how fucking weird that place is. It's weird, dude. <laughs> you'll just end up in the. You'll look. If it, Florida is the kind of place where if you're not careful, you will end up in a in a bath in a kitchen with someone freebasing something and you're like oh shit <laughs> um, this is not where I thought I would be tonight <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah how do I get out of this I don't want to be rude <laughs> so I'm not yeah. so much into bath salts but <laughs> well there... I moved before bath salts so if you're there that I can say but yes they they they, they are the more bath salty state well, so, yeah, uh, <laughs> you did miss out on Michigan then, which is, that, uh, shares a lot of similarities, but I'm it's sure also it cold. Yeah, 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 I'm sure it does. <laughs> well, when I, I kind of chuckled when you said you uh, moved your grandmother back to, up to Michigan, mm-hmm. I was like, what the fuck? That's fr- freezing your ass off. Oh, yeah. yeah oh. Well, but, you know, we lived up there and fuck yeah. Florida, so it's... <laughs> no, fuck Florida, and like, you know, she can't necessarily be alone in Florida. Yeah, yeah, well, and it was, it was the compromise because 
my uncle lived on a, uh, he had a farm out in rural Wisconsin, so that's even cold. Oh, yeah. And that, that was basically like, uh, you know, oh, you want grandma to freeze to death. I don't know. If you guys were good, good people with the proper kind of identity politics, you would have moved to Florida. For <laughs> <laughs> <No>. the grandmother. <laughs> so, hey, hey, I, all the jobs in Tampa. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. for, for whatever industry your parents were in. I, I, will, I will say that uh, as far as journalism goes, Tampa, St. Petersburg really a, a hot spot for it weirdly good about that that's one thing they do really well yeah. uh florida actually does have some pretty good journalism i remember going from from reading the miami herald to reading the washington post when i lived in washington afterwards and i was like i can write better than this mm. <laughs> i'm on the is it st petersburg times the st petersburg paper the st petersburg and tampa paper is really good really you know? good yeah just well i mean i'm not saying the herald is good it's just better than the post <laughs> <laughs> I'm, I'm working on building your demographics in the in the your florida listenership <laughs> they were like, actually, oh, fuck florida what oh but our newspapers are okay <laughs> I, think, I think the more we shit off florida the more listeners in florida will get <laughs> they know oh. they're like they're like can't wait to get it. Like Florida is just that that feeling of like being in a small town that and and I think like I think I was one of the people to later because I didn't grow up there until like I went to high mm-hmm. school there so there was an, a nostalgia to to it for me, but um, I think a lot of people early on realized that if they wanted careers they needed to get the fuck out of Florida. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and I say Florida because Miami was the best option they had there. Yeah. So the, it was they, they weren't gonna go from Florida to Tala from Miami to Tallahassee <laughs> to find bigger opportunities. Not gonna go to Jacksonville. <laughs> oh yeah. <laughs> yeah. Oh, um, there was something that you were saying earlier that I forgot. Um. All right. Anyway, go ahead. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, so um, I was talking about about how voters uh, don't necessarily follow their their uh, what the centrist ideal of their behavior would be. Yeah, they don't sit at the median of their their yeah. thoughts. And the the other uh, thing that is kind of interesting with voter behavior as it relates to to centrism and and identity politics is that. Uh, for California, like one of the reasons why we have the top two primary is this idea that it will force people into the median. Uh, people top two primary, what's that? Uh, our jungle primary, where uh, you know we vote. That sounds racist. <laughs> yeah, it's from Louisiana, so it probably is. But uh, it's the idea that that when we have our primaries, um, you vote out of uh, a bunch of different people, and then the final is a nonpartisan race. It's uh, so we have Gavin Newsom as the Democrat, and then John Cox is the Republican, but he was also the second vote getter. And if Anthony Villaraigosa had beaten John Cox, we would have a, a final election between two Democrats. Okay. Yeah. So all right. So being from Florida, I did not have any idea, <laughs> and I'm still not sure I understood what you said, but. You yeah. explained it eloquently, <laughs> and I, I will understand it when you when I listen to it again. So the the <laughs> idea with that is that you're going to get people that uh, the, whoever is in second place in a partisan sense, you're you know uh, assume that that uh, Vieira goes to beat Cox, so you would have two Democrats. You would have one who is going to run to the left and uh, run to the partisan behavior of Democrats. 
And then you're going to have one that is going to run to the right and look for people that are Republicans that will cross over to vote for them as well as whatever Democrats they can get. Okay. Um, so one's a fisherman. Yeah, yeah. Uh, Lorena Sanchez, when she ran against Kamala Harris, that was two Democrats. And Lorena Sanchez ran to the right. Okay. Uh, of and, Kamala Harris. <laughs> yeah, of, of Kamala Woo! Harris. <laughs> and, uh, and she lost because... Fuck yeah. <laughs> yeah, because what you see with uh, voting... Because I vote for my extremes. <laughs> well, yeah, exactly. And uh, what you see in competitive districts, the more competitive that is, the more disproportionate the power of people on the fringes have. Yeah. And so... Uh, when you're looking at turnout, people that are mostly okay with both choices, they'll turn out for anybody. The closer the race is, the more weight turning out that extra couple of people from the fringe oh. has. And that's something that Donald Trump did very well. He turned out oh, a geez. lot of the fringe. A, a lot, lot of first-time voters. Yep. And, you know, your hope there is that, that they... Either uh, fall off on voting or realize that they, they bought a lemon, man, you know? I think that's happening. He's I a mean, car salesman more than anything else. <laughs> yeah. So. Uh, Unfortunately, the last election was too much for people about punishing one person. <laughs> yeah. like, oh, yeah, we don't like you. Well, fuck the country. Yeah. Well, <laughs> and so one of the one of the dangers that comes up there is a, a study that that just uh, came out that was talking about uh, voter behavior and in Democrats and talking about identity politics. And if you talk about identity politics, uh, support for candidates who are not straight white males uh, falls by fifteen percent. And I, I haven't I haven't gone through the whole paper to to look at you know what the sample size was what the effect size was. We're uh, not that kind of a podcast. Yeah, you just yeah. have to tell us where it came from so that <laughs> discerning people can be like, oh, this is bullshit. I, I, I read about it on Vox. Is is my okay. excuse? Uh, well, so what how is Vox as a source? How do you feel about it? Uh, we, this they, is this is between us because. Or actually, let's just have a conversation oh, yeah, about no, sources they, later. Uh, they do. They do a very good job at linking okay. to primary sources. Okay. Uh, they do not necessarily do a good job at representing the sources, but it's at, at representing what they're saying. Right. Okay, right. What right. their stances. Okay. But uh, that is more transparency than most people go for. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, because hyperlinks are weird, and uh, you know. No, but it, it's one of those Vox is one of those things that comes up often in articles that have headlines that appeal to me and I still don't know. <laughs> I'm like, yeah. God damn it, why are you feeding me shit I want to hear? <laughs> or I yeah. don't want to hear, but I want to hear, you know? Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. <laughs> and anytime you see that, it's good to think, okay, well, what are they actually yeah. saying? Okay, let's check it, their homework here. Yeah, exactly. Bullshit. And, my, and my checking my homework is having you on the show and, me, <laughs> and asking what you think. We're all TAs here, man. Yeah, yeah, yeah exactly. Uh, yeah, so... so uh, by talking about identity politics before you ask people to evaluate candidates, uh, Democrats specifically. So this is why one of those reasons why it's a concern for the, the left and for liberals. Uh, you have a decrease in the support for people that aren't straight white males. Yeah. And so then speaks to sort of a weird reactive negative identity politics 
where most of the people that are voting, again, I haven't looked at the crosstabs, but most of the people that are, that are filling these out are assumed to be then straight white males, and they're hewing closer to home is the, is the theory. Mm. This is one of the arguments that gets used to support uh, centrist candidates. We should all be centrist because it won't freak people out by talking about identity politics. And what my thesis kind of is, is no, we need to steer into that and yeah. say, look, you need to, you need to get over that. You need to understand that one, everybody votes with an identity. Everybody goes to the, the polls with an identity. Everybody participates in the public square with an identity. Yeah. Uh, not just one identity, but multiple overlapping identities that yes. are contingent. They're not something that are, they're not static what you think of, uh, you know, I, th- I think one one good example, at least uh, from my experience, is what you think about to be a straight guy growing up in the 90s was incredibly homophobic. Yes. You know? <laughs> like, oh, that's co- well covered on the show. <laughs> yeah, and so what you think... I'm just uh, relieved that I'm an adult and no, and no one gives a shit if I'm gay <laughs> Yeah, yeah. Well, you hope at least here in California. But yeah, it, it's well. I, yeah, I mean, but like you know, just in casual, like even, even if I don't think there was a time in the nineties yeah. where if you were a straight guy and someone thought you were gay, it made yeah. you uncomfortable. Yeah. And I'm just so happy to have the maturity that, <laughs> that if someone thinks I'm gay, it's all right. Yeah, yeah <laughs> like I yeah. don't need to correct them. Yeah, I'm like, okay, you think I'm gay? That's fine. Yeah. Whatever. That was uh, one of the things about about working for uh, gay rights was uh, we would go, especially when we were working on. Uh, I'm sure you got hit on plenty. And we worked on a uh, on door campaigns, so we would go back and talk to people again after our canvassers had come and ask yeah. them about who canvassed them, how well they did, sort of yeah, ask yeah, them yeah. about their their beliefs to see how durable that canvas was. And the number one thing is that if you talk to somebody about gay rights, they assume you're gay. Yeah. And it's assumed to be, which again ties into identity politics, assumes this idea that you're only advocating for your own personal interest. Uh And that's, that's the, uh, that's part of why using this as a rational framework doesn't work is because if you use it as a rational framework, people assume that you're just advocating for your own interests and don't find a commonality with you. They're not persuaded. Yeah. And if they're not persuaded, they're going to go to their default identity, their default practice and not support you. Uh, it was one of the reasons why, uh, again, you know, uh, marriage for same sex couples instead of gay marriage or, uh, the huge shift that happened in the, in the rhetoric wasn't, uh, talking about legal rights that had been the strategy throughout the eighties and nineties mm-hmm. was like, well, people that get married, uh, gay people can't get married. They can't go to see the doc like when they're in the hospital and shit. Exactly. Like, yeah, exactly. You know, those, those like, um, heart wrenching sort of scenarios. Mm, not quite. The, well, but I mean, those, yeah. those are the ones that, that I remember yeah. because those were the ones Because like, I don't give a shit about their time. I mean, yeah. Yeah. If yeah. I'm a, it, it, you right. Know, so yeah, yeah, I care about their taxes. No, 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 no. The, 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 it ties yeah. together. Yeah. The, uh, the taxes are a good example of something that's purely rational. Like, yeah, yeah for fairness, uh, a same-sex couple that's married should have the same taxes as a as but an opposite. But if you don't side. want to bake them a cake, but yeah, if, if, <laughs> you, if don't you don't care, care uh, then it's not a big deal, and it doesn't persuade you. 
And mm. so the difference then between those type of appeals and uh, appeals that are heartwarming is heartwarming appeals work on an emotional basis. They work on getting you to identify with somebody else, somebody who is outside of your experience. And they ask you to sort of think through how you would feel if you were in this situation Mm -hmm. rather than having you weigh the costs and benefits as a, as a rational actor and think about, well, you know, what does this actually mean for them? And, uh, it's, it was a big shift from the rhetoric of equal rights into a rhetoric of love and compassion. Mm -hmm. And so the rhetoric of love and compassion works because you identify as someone who is compassionate toward other people that does believe in kindness and equality and things like that. So even people that were against gay marriage, uh, you know, being able to identify with Joe Biden and being like, well, Hey, you know, why not? Mm-hmm. That's much more powerful than a rational argument about, well, these are the way that we construct rights in America. Shouldn't everybody have equal access to rights? Yeah. Mm-hmm.